Welcome to the first episode of Designing Futures. I'm Angela Yeh, career coach for designers, talent strategist, public speaker, and CEO of Yeh Ideology. On July 22, 2021, Yeh Ideology celebrated its 15th anniversary by hosting its second virtual design summit. We had over 15 notable design leaders and luminaries sharing such relevant insights and experiences that we just decided to start this podcast by sharing these great conversations with you here. The past year has transformed most of us in one way or another because of the pandemic, and it has definitely transformed the world. Now we're watching the world reopen, and it's clear that we are entering a new age. As the world revolves once again, we don't have to be just passengers. We can be the drivers and own this change, this transformation, this metamorphosis. And thus, the theme of this year's Design Summit was Metamorphosis, Designing Our New Future. As designers, we are change agents. Our formalized training and methodology is to help others through change by coming up with solutions to the problems of our world. Change can be hard for anyone, but what we've come to realize is that designing change becomes even easier when done in a communal manner for each other and in collaboration with one another. For this podcast, let's listen to our first panel of speakers, my dear friends, Bob Schwartz and Alistair Hamilton, to speak about leading design in enterprise scale corporations. Yes. Good Hi morning. guys. There we are. Good to see you guys. Great to see you. Great to Thank see you. Thank you so much for coming on today and you know helping us celebrate and also just sharing so much of your insights about what it's like to you know lead design in, in these um, corporate spaces. Um, I guess the one thing I always I wanted to start with too is how has the pandemic I know, how are you guys moving through the pandemic and how are you finding, you know, finding joy and staying, you know, creative? Hi, Alistair. Morning, Bob. Uh, we had a chance to chat yesterday about this gig we're doing today and um, looking forward to it. Um, I think we've entered an era of, uh, and I'll credit my friend Bruce Nussbaum with this, uh, the era of, post -pan of post-pandemic design. Everything needs to be redesigned. Uh, and maybe you heard that that term here first, but I'll attribute it to Bruce. Um, everything needs to be redesigned, certainly in the role that I now have, uh, you know, in this pivot I made in my career. Um, I just got off a leadership call where we're reimagining re everything again, because now as the world is thawing out, uh, suddenly we, we do have 61 classrooms with technology in them that can be hybrid or high flex or synchronous or asynchronous. What are we going to do with that now that we have the latitude, you know, to come back? Uh, and I know certainly talking to my colleagues in, in you know, global jobs, uh, many of them are still not back at work yet. Uh, many of them are still yeah. working remotely. And I suspect many of you are here on this call. Alistair? Yeah, well, last year was, you know, amazing in so many ways, challenging. But um, I think as we start to sort of reconnect and get back into the office for the things that really matter, um, realizing just how much value there is in that and uh, how well we did really getting by and what an accelerant it was 
for a lot of the technology behind interacting with people in different places. I think one of, one of my bigger learnings re recently, which sounds painfully obvious uh, in a way, was we were doing a lot, of, um, a lot of things to connect remote teams in different countries with global teams that we almost took for granted as those being the seeds of what we needed to do well during the pandemic. And so the idea of remote work was really already happening for all kinds of people. It just wasn't mainstream. So there's a lot to be learned and, and, and that will get a lot better. Uh, in the future as a result of all the accelerated innovation. For you guys, you, I mean, you know, you're working, you're at the top, I think, near, you know, near the top, right there. Everybody in design, I mean, throughout the years, we've always talked about design needs to see the table and here you guys are there, you know, speaking to C-suite advisors and, and huge corporations. What, what kind of conversations have been going on in the last year and you know we've talked the world has changed right usually when it comes to design our customers are not ready for change and yet the world has changed so now are they turning to design and saying oh my god help us out <laughs> or or are they saying design is you know an aesthetic sensibility we don't need design right now we're you know we're, we're you know what i mean we're cutting corners what's their notion or awareness of what design can do for where they are I guess the first thing I would say is, if you think it's easy, you try it. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's a, it's a wild ride, but it's, uh, it's uh, certainly interesting. Um, I, you know, yes. I would say, um, first of all, business has is going on. Business has to go on. You still have to deliver to your customers. Um, there's still this huge digital transformation going on in the world. You know, the collision to the digital and physical is happening. Um, Alistair's like the, the first guy I would turn to, to to talk more about that. Um, so all that's still happening. At the same time, the dynamic of how it's happening has changed uh, completely. I would say, if anything, productivity's gone up, not down. Um, if, if, yes, if you're in a manufacturing or supply chain supply chain situation, obviously it's really challenging now and there's a shortage of, of everything. Just look at the auto industry uh, and the chip problem that they have. Um, but the people that I talk to and, and certainly the world that I'm in now, it hasn't stopped. I mean, we're still going like crazy 24 seven, uh, you know, keeping the wheels turning. And some of it's a little more challenging, but actually some of it's a little more efficient. And we've kind of accelerated into the use of tools to drive those efficiencies because you know the show must go on yeah i i agree i think angela to your question the i think our our, our leadership just turned to everyone it wasn't just design and it was mm. you know how how do we figure this out and how do we uh, try things and embrace change and you know it was constant change because a lot of things we tried initially didn't work and other things did and so in some ways, that's status quo. It's just that the context around it shifted dramatically, as we all know. Well, and I would imagine if so much is constantly changing, is business in general more open to the process of iteration? I mean, design is so comfortable with iteration, and yet business is like, let's let's pick one thing. Why do we, you know, why is it failing when they don't realize that is change and that's iterating, that's moving through options to find the best solution? Does this now? Um, help business understand that there's a process to change, right? 
Well, you know, it's the old necessity is the mother of invention thing. I mean, uh, God help us, uh, the amount of innovation that have come out of wars or NASA or some of the other unexpected places or unfortunate places. I think we're seeing that again. You know, things that were huge barbed wire barriers uh, in business and companies, if you wanted to move into, you know, some of the things we're doing now, you know, starting out with working remotely the way we are, it yeah. was a non-starter, but suddenly everybody had to embrace it and they had to do it fast. Uh, and um, I, I know, in, you know, there's some, some industries where uh, I asked the question, well, how was your year? Uh, and they'd say, I had the best year I ever had. You know, it was either lucrative or productive. Um, and so I think, you know, we just saw, you know, it's, it's uh, a Tom Friedman's book, um, you know, uh, Life in the Age of Accelerations. Thank you for being late. Uh, we acceler we're accelerating. Uh, it's exciting and terrifying at the same time. Oh, my God, that's a great point. We are accelerating. And I think the new, the new constant is change. I mean, we're, I feel like we're at the end of this pendulum where now it's swinging back. Or, and let's say that it's, let's, let's in fact, let's note that it doesn't have to go straight back, right? We can inform where this pendulum swings to next, but we are in that next 10 years in an incredible phase of change. Alistair, how do you see it? Well, I think this has been an amplifier of how um, unanticipated change can accelerate innovation, you know, uh, just as those examples that Bob just shared. And I think it's helpful to have that be obvious in front of mind because it's when things don't seem to be changing that it gets hard, right? Whether the, the company's cruising along and doing really well, you know, it doesn't want to change things. Innovation is, is, is risk, you know? Mm. Um, and so having such a present scenario to say, well, what if this happened? What yeah. would we do? How would we accelerate it? You know, it's old scenario planning, which we've all done in, in design, but uh, sometimes we don't imagine a scenario like this and how it could move a product uh, forward or, or change the way we approach things. So, you know, maybe, that's a maybe, like maybe this is something that we can try and hold on to as a, as a what if and challenge our, our, mm. ourselves and our colleagues to work with other things. Like what's the next big surprise? Designing Futures is brought to you by Yay Ideology, a talent strategy firm with a mission to help companies partner with the best design talent through corporate consulting and recruitment. You know, most design professionals, I think, they're not most, there are those that are, well, I talk about people who are on the entrepreneur track, running their own business, being on the consultancy side a bit more, those on the entrepreneur track within corporations, and there's so many that wonder, what's it like to move up and lead within a, a corporation, right? In a, and, and you guys are in really massive enterprise skill teams. Can, what's the advice that you guys can give to someone who wants to scale that environment, right? And be in that, in that type of, in that affecting design from the inside. What's it take? What kind of mindset? What kind of, how do you understand your, you know, what are the challenges leading in enterprise skill companies? Well, if, if I were to start, I would say, you know, yeah, part of it's what you know, that's table stakes. 90% uh, of it is your own behavior. Um, and, you know, to sort of 
live a life of curiosity, um, to be able to know how to make it about everybody else and not yourself and not yeah. run around necessarily waving your hands over your head about how great design is or all the things that you're going to bring when you go to a new company, but uh -huh. to help others solve big, hairy problems that they have. Um, if you can do that and develop trust and respect, people won't want to work with you unless you, they trust you. Uh, suddenly, at least what I found is others start to tell your story for you. Uh, uh, certainly when I went into, into GE, um, you know, des design was a highly valued creative resource, but it wasn't strategic. Um, we simply started talking about design as an organic driver of business growth. We just took the, took the ground. And then we looked for leaders, who, uh, senior leaders who had really big problems that they hadn't been able to solve, you know, spending millions with um, maybe some traditional uh, business consultancies. And we used our design thinking tools to help them solve their problem in new ways. Um, and if we were successful, and in a case, case or two where we were early on, all of a sudden it created this conversation uh, that they were driving. It's kind of like some of you may remember when the Industrial Designer Society of America, IDSA, uh, got into relationship with Business Week magazine to publish the results of the IDEA Awards. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, for the first time in history, we had a business publication talking about design rather than design talking about design. Well, the analog is the same. And, um, and I found that to be very effective. The other piece of it that's really important in jobs like I've had, and I know Alistair has had, which are highly global, teams all around the world, most of the people on my team live in other countries, um, is to be culturally, culturally intelligent. And actually there is a, some great books about cultural intelligence you should read. Um, that's really a serious thing. Um, everybody speaks English, but everybody doesn't understand English. Some words don't translate. Some concepts don't translate. You're working across foreign exchange. You're working across uh, religious beliefs. You're working across customs. Uh, you're working across how interviews are conducted and who gets to be in the food chain. Stuff mm. you never get taught about in school or in business. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's joy by a thousand cuts or smiles or misery. Uh, so you have to you have, to have that uh, cultural intelligence uh, in your pocket. Unless you have well, a question for me. Well, I, I just wanted to speak to what you were saying. You, you were talking about helping the other divisions. You know, I think there sometimes there is a notion from design to come in and say, here we are, we're the star, we're going to, we're the creators, we're the creatives, we're the change agents, we'll, we'll do it all, you sit back. But I know that um, to working with and talking with so many of you guys who are there, rising up there and helping within corporations, it is about helping those other divisions to accomplish their initiatives. So in some sense, they are your first customer, right? It's not necessarily GE's end consumer customer, but your customers are those other divisions within that company, you know, and helping them with their initiatives. Yes, it's both. Um, and it's also how you uh, recruit the army you don't control. Um, mm. You know, in, in my case in GE or even in Procter & Gamble where eventually there was 400 of us, uh, okay, there was 60 of us, but there was 9,000 engineers and 1,500 marketers spread yes. in, you know, uh, 200 countries. Uh, you can't compete with that. 
But if you can sort of help other people solve their problems and invite them into your landscape, uh, you know, opening the doors wide, um, all of a sudden they're put, become a virtual part of your team. And that can be very powerful. Yeah, they become your uh, representatives, right? Alistair, how's this for you, you know? Well, it's a, it's a massive question, but just to riff off of a couple of the, the themes, um, yeah, if you start with like, we are the creatives, then you're, you're pretty much dead in the water right there. Everyone's creative. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and so, and there's a big, and over the last, you know, 20 years or probably many more, um, the lines that people like to put up around disciplines and that have blurred tremendously. Yeah. Uh, and so what's, what's, you know, unique about uh, design's role in mass collaborations um, and it's, I think most of the time is that we start with questions and curiosity um, and therefore our, our most durable tool is learning, right? And so recognizing that connection of constant learning and, 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 and then problem solving, finding problems is a lot harder than solving problems actually. Uh, solving them can be pretty <laughs> straightforward, <laughs> you know, if you have the right group of people yeah. together. But if you're working on the wrong problem, well, that's not very productive. No. So um, I think it's consistent with what Bob was saying. If you can help turn an organization of people into a learning organization, then um, you're going to have you're going to have a steady stream of relevant problems to be working on, and then uh, design's value and the, and the team's value will be fully realized. So. You know, as a leader to your original question, like what advice do you give? It's that, you know, as a designer, you know, we're sort of taught formally, you know, about making, you know, but, but design leadership is about, um, is about make, making that happen through many, many other people, um, most of which are not designers, right? And so you have to realize that your the design problem isn't the thing anymore. It's actually... Um, the, the, the approach or the playbook that you put together to get to the thing. So I'll leave it, it at that. Are you, I feel like you guys are done designing a common mission, you know, within your corporation in, in businesses, no matter how big or how small you, you find that there are silos, right. Within divisions and departments and in back, when you look at the logistics of how these things come together, it is, you know, it's, it's really, how do these divisions uh, departments work together? Well, and even within a department, a team, you know, how do they work together? Well, but when you have a common mission, then you understand what that goal is and everybody knows what to bring to the table. I feel like. Yeah. And there's a whole, there's an interesting tension with that as well, because uh, sometimes doing cross cutting things, um, while as, as designers, I, I, I feel like we tend to have a, uh, a default setting, which is to integrate and synthesize and have everything work together well. Well, that can also complexify things. That can slow things down. And so recognizing when to pull back and allow things to be small and move fast versus trying to tie it to get all together with a bow is, um, is sometimes counterintuitive, but the right thing to do. I mean, I had seven managers in the 12 years I was at GE, all corporate officers. Um, change was constant. And uh, what we found in our design organization is every 12 to 18 months, we had to step back, you know, go lock ourselves in a room somewhere away from, from the office, hopefully in someplace nice, 
uh, and pivot and realize that not only did we have to change our approach, uh, the structure of our organization perhaps, uh, but I go back to we had to change our behavior, how we interacted with businesses, how we interacted with um, the culture of a place. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the global culture, but how people behave. You know, I've worked in companies where there was a, I don't know, lack of a better way of saying it, there was a tough guy culture, finger in your face, uh, baloney on you, I'll clean that up. Baloney on you, you don't get a vote. You know, uh, we don't need you to come here and help us make it cute, Schwartz. I mean, that's a place to start. And I've also worked in cultures where it was so overly polite. You didn't know what the hell yeah. they were trying to say to you, but there was a knife in your back while they were saying it and a smile on their face. Um, so you have, you have to be able to be nimble enough as a leader. And that's different than being, the difference between leadership and management is to uh, seek to understand it, take a moment and see which way the wind is blowing before reacting um, mm. in order to navigate all of these, not only personalities, but all these business dynamics that are happening. And then the three-dimensional chess game of them happening globally um, is all overlay. And, and eventually you're gonna ask us a question about what artificial intelligence is gonna to do to us. Um, and maybe that's a good segue for you, Alistair, I don't know. Should I run with that, Angela? I don't know, that, was, oh. that one came out of nowhere, artificial intelligence. <laughs> you're right there. <laughs> Thrive Today is brought to you by Thrive by Design, a masterclass program designed to empower design professionals like you to unearth your highest potential, make exponential impact, master cultivating and landing opportunities, thus thriving in your career. Don't let the pinnacle of your career slip by. Take ownership of your future now. To learn more about the program, head over to our website, thrivebydesign.today. That's T-H-R-I-V-E-B-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N dot T-O-D-A-Y. Um, how do you guys lead upwards, right? You guys are the closest. I mean, in, as people move through their career, everybody wants to move further upstream. That was the adage we all hear. And to sit, have a seat at the table. And how do you, it, this is leading, most people I think start with leading their teams. I love mentoring. I love leading. And then there's a point, I think, in management where you realize it's time to lead upwards too, right? Because that is the way to move up to, to help guide those that you collaborate with and work for, you know, directly above, above, above. You know, we're talking C-suite, um, you know, advisory boards, you know, what, tell me about what your experiences are like there, because not that many here have had that experience. What's it like? What do you do? I mean, I, I would go back to the theme of focusing on learning and problems. Like everyone has problems to solve and the extent to which you can help them solve them, um, they will be more successful. And so I think a, uh, um, a good practice is just to look around you and say, how do I make that person up there more successful? And that, that's, a, that's a problem statement, right? And that's what we're good at. So that's my answer. <laughs> I guess I, I'll, I'll yes and it uh, by saying in order to be promoted, um, first of all, you're in charge of you. Nobody's Ugh. in charge of your career but you. Um, and, and if you're waiting, sitting around for somebody to, to say, uh, you know, hey, we're, we want to promote you. You're doing a really great job. 
No, you, it's not about being an advocate. It's not about, you know, um, self-promoting in that sense of the word, uh, but it is taking charge of your own career and having a vision for yourself and having a personal board of directors, uh, people, friends, family, doesn't matter who it is, you can call on to kick you in the backside if you're whining or to help you solve tough problems you can't sort out. Don't think you can do it all yourself. A great leader understands when to ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness. It's the opposite of that. You know, and all those things taken together, uh, being open to mentorship, going to leaders above you and being curious about what they're doing, uh, the challenges they have, uh, learning from them, asking for mentorship. Everybody likes to be asked for their advice. Um, it really helps to open those doors and it, it shows that you have the lights on and it's not all about you. Those are powerful things, at least they have been for me. You guys have just heard it from the top guys. These are some people who, designers who have moved so high up within companies and know it. Look, you, we are all, I love how you just framed it, Bob. You are in charge of your own future. You are in charge of your career. Own it. Absolutely. Talk to those around you. And this, I think one of the most common comments that I get is that people say design feels like a really, it can feel like a very lonely career. If you are in a company and you feel like you're the only one, you know, one of a few within a company. And there are so many allies right here in this group. I hope all of you guys connect with each other. So much insight and, you know, collaboration that could be had here, supporting each other. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point, Angela. And to build on, on that, um, from when, when you're a, a senior leader in a company, it's not often obvious, but setting a bigger stage for design and growing it is not obvious to anybody else. If you're the, if you're the top designer in a company, then um, you're the one who knows what bigger looks like. You're mm. the one who knows what you know, a more comprehensive approach design looks like no one can do it for you. And so you have, you have to demonstrate that you have to show what that can be. And that to Bob's point is something you got to just own. Yeah. I love yeah. You have to be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I, even within a corporation, right. Owning. Yeah. Your there's own no difference. You know, yeah. most in-house design teams are in-house consultancies. You know, we have a business model. I had numbers to make. Um, I, if I wanted to grow my team, I had to find the resources. Nobody was going to hand them to me unless I could make a case for it uh, with data. Um, you have to show up every single day, every single moment as a business person in the context of your discipline. Um, that's a hard lesson that I learned, um, you know, um, looking like a designer, wearing a black shirt, you know, doing all that stuff. It doesn't, so what? If it's cool, they will come. Doesn't work. Um, you have to be a business person and designers don't always do a great job of that. Um, and, uh, and we whine a lot. Um, I whined plenty in my career until, you know, I got smart enough because of a couple of good swift kicks in the pants uh, to recognize, wait a minute, you're no different than the, the CFO or the chief marketing officer or anybody else. You, you're there to serve the customers and to help the company grow and you, you need to understand uh, what everybody else's problem is. If you're gonna, you said it before, Alistair, if you're gonna make a difference, you know, that's, that is the learning environment. Part of it is on us. 
you know, yeah, I'm a designer. I'm trained as a designer and I spend time uh, as an innovator and I love the creative process. But most of the time, you know, I, I fly around on airplanes, I go to meetings and I type on a computer and talk on the telephone. I mean, it's that stuff. It's, it's the business of design at this level um, that is critical uh, uh, for you to embrace. I think you both mentioned, well, and I just heard what you, you were saying about the business of design, right? I think a lot of you come into this thinking that we'll always be creative and our work will just majority of our work will be creative. And I know how many people tell me when you move up the ladder, how much of your work is really creative versus diplomacy or business, right? And then the other thing that I heard is no matter how big a company, we are still dealing with people, right? Business still is run by people. And it's, it's understanding the different people that you work with, that you're collaborating with, that you're working for. Yeah, and if, if anything, you know, there's a lot about uh, design approaches and methods and strategies that we can systematize and, and um, you know, put together a playbook and an action plan and everything else. It's the people you can't predict. Uh -huh. like people... <laughs> Like Bob just describes some archetypes, you know, some of which are more appealing than others, but you got to figure that's the part of the puzzle that you have to figure into, you know, your, your approach. So being smart about that and actually getting good at it, right. Working on, uh, on it, having empathy and, and, and recognizing that it's part of, part of the uh, world around you. I mean, I, I personally, you know, I was brought up in Canada and, and uh, um, found myself in New York, as you know, Angela, and boy, culturally, there are some things I had yep. to learn about, uh, you know, uh, being direct New about New Yorkers. Yeah. And it was, and it was amazing once I, once I figured it out, but I had to be hit over the head with a two by four a few times to get the, <laughs> actual, the actual words out that I was meaning. <laughs> so anyway, those are. I mean, recognizing that people are part of the puzzle, I think, is mm. super important. And that overlay, oh, I, I have to add this, uh, overlay then showing up at a conference uh, table, a conference room table in Malaysia or in, in Shanghai or in, in Dubai or mm. all the other places we go as global leaders. And um, the shift from, from Canada to New York or I'm a Jersey boy winding up in the Midwest. Um, that, that was easy compared to understanding, um, uh, you know, what it's like to navigate in places where the customs and traditions totally. and the way of doing business. Um, um, this is out of a book. I didn't make this up. But um, in some cultures, um, we play ping pong. We banter back and forth. In other cultures, they play chess. And if you don't understand the culture you're walking into, and you think you're going to go to Bangalore, India, uh, mm -hmm. present, and, and, and play ping pong and banter with your colleagues, oh no, they're playing a game of chess with you. And you can be in checkmate real fast if you don't pay attention to that. And that's another lesson. You don't, you don't learn it except by a slap in the face when it happens to you. And you realize when somebody's saying yes, that doesn't mean they agree with you. It's just saying they heard what you said. 
This episode of Designing Futures is brought to you by Cree Agentur. Cree Agentur is a global event agency providing quality service while executing unforgettable in-person and virtual events through conceptualization, organization, and production. They work with their clients to determine, define, and ultimately achieve their event goals through a very unique approach. Creagentour's event production services are customizable to their clients' specific event needs, from exclusive and intimate events to large-scale productions. Creagentour cultivates a team to successfully execute an unforgettable experience. Um, Kelly, I'd love to. You guys, I would love to start opening this up to Q and A because I know the audience here probably has so many questions for you. Is there anything that either one of you guys? W- feel that you want to share that you think the industry might want to you know for all the design professionals that are out there you know what's the what's some advice or insights that you have that you might want to share are you asking the audience or Alistair and me I'm asking you guys while we open up um Q&A for people if anybody has questions for you and by the way I'm for those you guys don't know uh my laptop died two days ago and so I'm on a new iPad and so I'm like trying to focus on the camera over here <laughs> um so I'm just using this uh so I don't see the chat um, uh well there is a question there it looks like what do we um, got and if Kelly like, if you want to bring them up we have tons of comments here and, and actually I have, I have one before we start MBA right you guys are in the world I think you've mentioned and referenced so much about understanding business. Is having an MBA a viable, you know, accreditation to have and skill, you know, knowledge to have? Sure, any knowledge. <laughs> it depend on the environment you are in as well. Be I mean, but you guys, never, stop, guys, never stop learning. Never stop learning. There's no boundaries. Everything yep. is blurred. Um, the, you know, the, the collision between um, scholarly inquiry and the Ubering of everything is upon us. Uh, you, you just, you have to be sort of an intellectual free agent and not imagine yourself in anybody's lane. Um, you're, in, you're in a lot of lanes. You have 40 spinning plates in front of you and they're all wonderful. You have to decide how to prioritize sequence and make choices uh, right. to keep them all spinning properly. There is, there are some questions. There is a question I, in chat. I, I, I see one from Sean. Um, like the field of architecture, do you feel that the greater design community will adopt a similar system of licensing professionals as a method of establishing a base level of creative expertise across the varied disciplines of design? That's a good one. That's a tricky one. Yeah. And I mean, I it's have, I have that, right? What's that? Well, I mean, how do you do that when there's, you know, user experience, um, strategy, you know, customer experience, UX, industrial design, architecture, you know, all these categories. You know. Well, the question is why? Why would you maybe? You know, mm. and 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 that's where I, I'm conflicted. I remember uh, feeling years ago that fairly strongly that um, you know there's people. Um, saying they're a designer and coming in doing a design job, but then almost like misrepresenting what design can do because they weren't, they didn't have like the rigor maybe behind that certain discipline. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that 
that's a point worth talking about. And I'd love to hear Bob's point of view on it. But um, the other side of it is career-wise, um, I've seen so many good things happen when people pop you know, across the spectrum of disciplines. And if there is a license in their way from practicing something, then that would be a blocker. I mean, you know, uh, when I uh, started as a designer, there wasn't such a thing as UX, <laughs> right? Or design technologists uh, and everything was different. And so if, if I had to go and get re-licensed to do something, I mean, that would create a lot of friction in, in, one, in one's career. So I think the net, benefit is um, career mobility wise is seeing people move across domains of research, digital, physical design, and even mm. management. A lot of really great experience um, design leaders end up being phenomenal program managers uh, of design. Mm -hmm. You can have, it's a matter where you have the most influence and impact. But um, so I guess the short answer is I, I don't see it happening. Well, you brought up a really good point. I, um, having worked with creative professionals in this in the world of design, and I don't think any other type of archetype of individual pivots more than designers. Uh, I mean, you, I think the combination of such disparate different abilities and acuities and people in design, I think pivot more than any other profession. And it's from that pivoting that you can pull from past experiences from different worlds, right? Um, and it's your combination of all those abilities that allows you guys to see something different than anybody else, more so I tend to see. And you're right, so you're right. If there's accreditation, does that slow that process, right? It's, is it about duration or is it just about a quality of insight? I agree with what Alistair said. Um, and this conversation has been going on for 50 years, longer. Um, when I was executive director of IDSA, it would come up every two to three years as the board changed over. You know, should we have licensing? You know, it, it was more about, um, you know, our own insecurity and, and, and sense of ourselves and feeling less than somehow. Um, you know, license, licensure grew in uh, architecture so buildings wouldn't fall down. Um, it, you know, it, it didn't have to do as much with proof of, well, I have this education and experience. Yeah, there was some of that, uh, but it was, it was a safety and efficacy question. Um, and yes, there's certainly plenty to do with product liability and the stuff that, that we do as industrial designers with very blurred boundaries. Um, I agree with Alistair, it'll never happen uh, because there isn't, you can't, you can't get your arms around, well, what, that, what is that? Um, you know, what, what is the, what are these professions? You can say UX and that's 15 or 20 different subspecialties. Uh, and same thing with industrial design up, down and sideways. It's a three-dimensional chess game. I don't, I don't see what happened. I can tell you that um, for interior architects and interior designers, there's a huge battle going on in state legislatures to allow uh, uh, those folks to be able to stamp or approve plans without an architect or an engineer for non-structural things. And the architecture lobby is railing against it because they're threatened by it. It's passed, it's passed in legislatures in 18 states and not in Wisconsin where I live. And uh, we're working on that. There's a bill in our legislature to do that. It's been going on for two years. And, wow. uh, and surprisingly, the Republicans are for it. The Democrats are against it. I'm, like my head's gonna explode. 
But um, uh, yeah, you have to work really hard on, on something like that, let, let alone, and they're already um, CETA certified and they have to take a licensing exam uh, to practice. The architects would have you think that they're all interior decorators, baloney. We've, we've got another question oh, from Nancy. Nancy Perkins. I've got Nancy, we've got to interview you. I can't wait. We have to have you on a podcast. Agreed about certifications. The question we always asked, what would the test be? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Right. I wouldn't yeah. want to take it. Yeah, we'd all flunk. <laughs> nice to hear from you, Nancy. Nice to see you virtually. Good to see you, Nancy. Um, well, what, what, if, um, how do you inspire someone to want to lead within corporations? You know, how do you inspire someone who, who would want, what is the value of doing this? Right. Um, it's what's, well, why would someone want this? You know, what is the, what, what gratification do you get from doing what you do? Uh, there's a smart ass answer and there's a, probably a <laughs> give me the smart ass answer and then the other one <laughs> I don't know I, I can tell you that that um, uh, you know designers on my team who are earlier in their career um, uh, re you reach a crossroads for me it was about six years into my into my working life about a hundred years ago uh, where I got to this crossroads you know, you know, what do I want to do? Do I want to keep designing stuff and like, you know, be in a Wacom tablet um, or sitting there at a drawing table with a bay mm. line maybe back then? But, uh, or do I, do I want to start getting involved in, in, you know, getting stuff done and the visioning and, you know, working the issues and so on. Uh, and usually when I can see that in, in a designer who's earlier in their career, um, I set about the task of torturing them. Um, I give them responsibilities that they never had before um, mm -hmm. and uh, see what they do with it. But at the same time, it requires a lot of close coaching and being at, at them. We'll take the youngest person on the team and put them in front of the C-school. You know, it, it's a chance to see what's there and a chance for that person to have an experience to know whether this feels right. Um, and then you can kind of keep adding to that over time. It, you know, our jobs are nurturers. We're teachers. We're supposed mm -hmm. to bring forward the people behind us. The most wonderful thing you can see as a leader is, is, is you know, you leave a role or somebody leaves a role and someone from your organization can move up into it because they're ready and you help them do that. Very, very rewarding. Yeah, I think it's about... <laughs> I think your question was, how do you inspire them? And I think it's about modeling. You, know, you do your job, do it well, and um, across all those dimensions that Bob mentioned. And the folks that are inspired to, to take on that kind of role will, by owning their careers, self-seek it out. And then how do, you, how do you help them? And I think it's a process of experimentation. You know, in a very practical sense, it's like, get an intern. You know, how... How is how, how how do you like being responsible for somebody else's performance? Uh, mm. Developing them, coaching them, mentoring them, you know, and um, 
various ways of experimenting with leadership. Uh, people will find that uh, they're either enjoying and excelling at it or not. And um, it's a two-way door decision. Can you guys tell us, um, and by the way, Nancy would, um, I'm sure, sure Nancy has some perspectives on this. If you're up in, open to coming up on stage as well, um, let Kelly know and we can bring you up. Um, I would love to hear from you as well and your take on this. Nancy's been in the design industry as well for a very long time, seen it from all sides um, within corporations and being a longstanding contributor to IDSA. By the way, absolutely understand the impact that organizations have. They speak for our industry, right? Um, just a quick nod to organizations like IDSA, TMI, you know, um, IXDA, um, as our industry grows, you know, this is the one, these are the places where we can congregate and share our best practices, uh, you know, and, and, and inspire each other. You guys have been involved, right, in IDSA, I think in DMI, I think for quite some time now, right? Yeah, yeah. Bob, but yeah. I mean, I found it extremely valuable. It, it's, it's really been opened the door to the, the network that you get. Um, and, uh, you know, in one case, let's talk about the hard stuff. There was a point in my career 20 years ago where I, I took a very senior job in a company, VP level job, and I was there 100 days. They changed their strategy and they threw me out. Uh, I had two kids in college you know, et cetera, et cetera, a house I hadn't hardly unpacked. Uh, they decided they wanted to source everything in China and Mexico, and they should have never hired an innovator. I had a team of 40 people, and all of a sudden, you know, we're letting you go. Wow. So what do you do? Um, it's not easy to, you know, the higher up you go, those jobs, there's fewer of them. Um, but this is where the professional network saved my life. But because I had invested and you know, act, being active in the IDSAs and the DMIs, there was a lot of people I could call. Some I hardly knew, but I could mm -hmm. kind of use that to open the door. And it helped me to network, you know, one begets another. And that's how I found my way to, in that case, to Procter & Gamble. Yeah, I love that. Hard, Alistair, what about for you? You oh. know, what's a challenging uh, moment in your career? Or, and, and we're talking about IDSA for you and how, you know, what it you know what's it done for you in your career how you see it well similarly it's like it's a network outside of your immediate sphere of the company or yeah. you're in and so the number of people that I've met by being involved uh, mostly with IDSA especially earlier in my career um, was I mean that some some of my closest friends in in design came through um, that, that networking and those, and, and my friend, those, that's a support group, like Bob talked mm -hmm. um, and we're in touch, uh, frequently and share things that we learn or problems that we have. And, and, um, you know, that's, you, you can't put a price tag on that. Yeah. I mean, and this is where I've met you guys. True. You know? That's a perfect example. Exactly. That's where we met. And, yeah. you know, Alistair and I were colleagues in Motorola days. We hadn't talked to each other probably in 10 years, but we just picked up where we left off. Sure yeah. We didn't have to get over the hill climb of, of once we caught up of, right. you know, well, who are you and who am I? Uh, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, 
community. This is also that comment, you know, community allows, gives you the platform, gives you the network, helps you identify opportunity, helps you see yourself even in a different light professionally, right? So, okay, I love it. Um, you guys have shared such amazing advice just to, to tell us what it's like from your seats or your positions within this industry affecting change. Um, where can, pe can people stay in touch with you and follow you? We can or probably connect. both be stalked on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's probably the best bet, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And people, don't be shy. Reach out to these guys. They're amazing individuals and great leaders um, in design. Thank you guys for sharing your, you know, your perspective and inspiring us. It's fun and great to see both of you. Yes, indeed. And and all my friends. And I miss you too, Sarah Keating. <laughs> yes. I know. I love you, Nancy. Thank you for joining us. I hope you learned a lot from Bob Schwartz and Alistair Hamilton's conversation. Remember to hit subscribe and follow us here from whatever platform you're listening in. This is Designing Futures with Angela Yeh. And tune in every Monday for another episode of our podcast. Next week, we'll be hearing Sarah Keating and Pharrell Cabrisi's conversation about sustainability and corporate social responsibility. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.